This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by AJA, together with Flame since 2006. We would like to welcome to the Logic family our friends at Hotspring. Hotspring is the future of VFX outsourcing. Hotspring connects you to great artists to get your projects done, making it easier than ever to access the best talent around the world. I highly encourage if you need any help with Roto, Paint, 3D Match Move, or Cleanup, give the folks at Hotspring a shout. You will not be disappointed. www.thehotspring.com And last but not least, Logic Academy Pro. If you haven't checked it out yet, I highly recommend it. There are so many cool courses that range from CG car replacement, Nuke for Flame Artists, Mocha, color management, VFX supervision, and also meetups for mentoring your career. So check out logicacademypro.com. Well, John, welcome to the show. Is this your studio that you're in? Yeah, one of them, yeah. the This is, um, I've got one in London and one out in Norfolk, which is out in the country. And this this is the one in um, Norfolk. Gotcha. How, how far outside of London? Uh, about an hour and a half. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've been to London. Haven't haven't been to Norfolk, but <laughs> I'm sure it's beautiful. <laughs> Not many people have. Oh, really? Is it is it really small? Um, no, actually, no. It's 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 okay. It's it it's it's funny enough. It's in the middle of nowhere. But I got on managed to get on this pilot scheme for internet over here, uh, and I was I've got this sort of dedicated wow. internet line, which is so fast. It's even faster than what I've got in London. And it just makes it all possible to to work out here, you know. There's a sort of government-backed scheme to try and get people moving out of London, you know. That's cool. Is it, I'm assuming it's like gigabit or something, pretty fast? Yeah, yeah. Very fast upload as well, so. Okay. That's great. That's great. And so did you say you, you work on features out there? Yeah, yeah features and uh, streaming shows, yeah. Um, if I'm doing ads, then I'll I'll be back in London. Gotcha. Are there uh, film studios out in uh, Norfolk, or is it more of just get it, escape the city? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, funnily enough, you know, the pandemic uh, thing sort of changed everything for me, really, because I was, I was always, you know, about being in the center of town and having clients in with you, and um, uh, and it sort of changed everything. You know, mm-hmm. I went totally remote from then on, and I haven't actually been into the office in the center of town since really you know there's been a few calls to go in and, and do stuff but most of the stuff i can do remote and you know I, I quite like it and i can get stuff done much quicker if i'm not you know obviously spending 45 minutes each way i know going in and out of town on a you know but it, it i sort of miss client attends because that was sort of my thing you know it was having big attended sessions and running sessions but actually, I'm quite enjoying uh, working remote. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's great to hear. I, I agree. I actually, I feel like I get more done, you know, working remote. Uh, yeah. Less people coming into your room and bugging you <laughs> with stuff. Yeah. So, we, 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 yeah. You know, clients have never, uh, especially in commercials, uh, clients have never got enough money. And so I just give them an option. I just say, look, you, you know, you can pay my daily rate or I'll do a deal for you. But but I'm remote if, you know, you either pay the full whack, but then that's covering going into town and having a studio in town 
or or you don't pay the full work and I work remote. And ah. guess what? They mostly go for the cheaper option. The right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, you know. that, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, now, when you're working remote, is it kind of just through postings, um, or do you actually set up live kind of feeds to um, their like iPads or something? How, how do you do that? Because I'm sure some of them like to have somewhat of a session. Yeah, um, it's pretty rare though. Mostly, it's comments on Frame IO. You, you know, posting posting up a thing and then comments coming in, and uh, it's mostly that. I have done the odd one um, uh, where where we do it live. But um, it is it is sort of my intention to go back in and do more sessions. But but I'm doing much more film work than ever before, okay. and it doesn't seem relevant. It, you know, and it it doesn't seem important for people to have a client attend for that. Yeah, so, yeah, that's what I've heard. There there is a big difference with like feature and episodic compared to commercials with client sessions. Yeah, and I, I like it because you know the way the exec producer thing works. It is really interesting. It's you know, it's like working with a creative director at an agency, but it's it's a lot more regimented in terms of how you get the feedback and um, and the versioning of shots and you, you know, it just seems it's a terrible thing to say, but a little bit more grown up in the in in the way they. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's not just this free for all of changes all the time and. Yes. And then them showing it to someone else and they have 20,000 changes too. You know, it, it's much more regimented and uh, it, it and I prefer it because it means I can just sort of get on with it and try and make things look nice, you know, which is what we're all here yeah, for. Yeah, there's kind of like a um, goal at the beginning of like what we're trying to achieve. And it, very rarely I feel like it will, it'll sideline into something else. Whereas in commercials, like maybe an executive doesn't see the the ad until the very end. And it's like, wait, why, Yeah, why is it like this? Oh, we got to change that. <laughs> and you're like, what the heck? No, yeah. Well, let's, let's do a little rewind. Um, how did you get into post-production even like pre-flame? Like how did you, um, what was your in? Um, I don't know if you know, but I've been doing this a long time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, I, I started off, I think my, my first job, I started off as a musician. Okay. I went to do a course on uh, uh, recording in studios, you know, like recording studios, how, how to use them and stuff, because I thought it'd be useful. And actually, when I did that course, there was an editing course. There was, oh, we're talking about mid-80s, uh, early 80s, 1980s here. And I didn't live in London at the time. And I thought, well, and actually, I really loved the editing side. I mean, back then it was tape, it was linear, it was, you know, it was horrible. But I loved it. I loved the whole thing about it. So and I thought, well, that's a great way to get to London. Because as a musician, you know, you want to be in London. And so I got a job at a company called SVC Television, um, which was in Wardour Street, in Film House, funnily enough. you know, And it was one of the big ones at the time. And it was all analog, one-inch machines and all stuff like that. And that was sort of, I guess, mid-80s, I think. And actually, that took off. And obviously, it's hard to make a living as a musician unless you you suddenly get it big in a band or something. And I was in a few bands, but nothing uh, nothing really took off. So I decided to go where the money was, really, <laughs> make my life easy. And um, and I really enjoyed the editing. And so I became like an edit assistant at this company. And I, I think I've been quite fortunate over the years that I've sort of been joining companies or being around doing things as certain seismic changes happened in 
post-production really. And the first one was there really. They, you know, the, the first one for me, the big change was analog to digital. And that, that sort of happened at, um, it started to happen at this first company I was at. And I loved it. it I, all those, you know, we were analog one inch tape. And then this, th- this thing came along called an Abacus um, A64, which was suddenly it was disk drives. And you could layer things up and you could layer things up without any degradation. You could keep going. And I just loved it. And I can admit a lot of the online editors that were at this company, I'm not sure they were that keen. They they saw it as quite a, I don't know what they saw it as, but they didn't like it. And I loved it. And, and it just took off. And so that, that, that it sort of enabled me to do stuff that I couldn't do before. Because, you know, the problem with analog is you go down in quality. Every time you layer something, it, the quality goes so bad. And I got poached out of there late 80s, early 90s to, to um, join a startup called Pearson & Roth. Now, I don't know, you probably don't know this, but Pearson & Roth was the mill, basically. It, when, it, when I joined, it was Pearson & Roth. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Two great guys that used to be at a company called Rushes and pretty pretty mad people. You know, it was quite crazy times. Anyway, I, I joined there, which is quite, it was sort of a bit mad because I was doing very well at the previous company. Uh, running their digital edit suite, and uh, and they came along with this crazy idea, and I never realised it. It was much bigger than I thought, and they wanted me to run the online suite. So we're talking online here, you know, not flames, and not uh, this is way before flames. And yeah, uh, so so it's digital stuff. It was the first all digital facility. Uh, it became the mill because they needed loads of money, and Wimmel Lane got involved, and I was heading up the online suites, and they were massive. They were a huge deal. You know, we had a reception area that was like bigger than most facility houses and people just it, it was the start of that big leap into for what was before effectively film editors doing a bit of online post-production as well in small little tiny rooms and right you know carpet on the walls and drinks machines at the back and all of a sudden it became this massive like you know cappuccinos everywhere and massive reception areas and my suite was like huge it was probably one of the best suites i've ever had yeah and that was all digital so that was the big that was the big change and i was lucky because i I went to a company that just then specialized in it and it was a brand new startup. It was the mill and I was on the board and I was there for about eight years, I think. Um, and we were lucky cause we had big tie-ins with things like Ridley Scott associates and things like that. So every single decent ad that went through London at the time went through us, I think. So we were doing some uh, pretty amazing stuff and it was, it was fantastic times. And I had this crazy suite that had about, 61 tape machines running off the back of it uh four abacus discs and they all run around the a64 this abacus a64 and it is as close to being the fastest instant access thing i could get right uh-huh. and and then towards but towards the end of that i was starting to get annoyed with the fact that it was linear you know and then the next big what i think of as the next big seismic change happened which was the change from linear to non-linear and yeah. we we were shown in a like a back room somewhere in Swindon or somewhere, uh, what was the first Avid. Um, and I just, again, it just blew my mind. So it was the second thing that um, I just thought was incredible. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, you, you you could layer things up, not only layer things up, but you could cut something and not destroy it. You know, so all, yeah. the, all the kids out there, uh, probably no idea what I'm talking about right now. No, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, the idea that it's non-destructive. So, you know, you could cut a clip in half and you haven't destroyed the clip. 
or written over it or something. So it, 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 was, an, it was the second bit really big change. And I saw it. I saw the avid and first of all, I thought that, well, that's amazing. But the picture quality was awful. But, it, but you could see it was going to be good. And, uh, you know, again, people were very anti it. Like um, I had the head of what was the uh, film editor union at the time tell me to, because I was demoing it to people for them because I thought it was so amazing. And they told me to cease and desist because, <laughs> you know, they wow. thought it was going to kill the whole industry. And they actually, you know, pulled me to one side that you've got to stop showing this thing off because, and I just thought it was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So <laughs> I got a lot of grief. Over it. I got a lot of grief over that, which is quite funny, seeing as like literally three years later, every single film that I had was running on average, you know. But anyway, so we, we were... But that was a sideline because we, we were online, you know, it, it wasn't really our thing. I was just interested. But then, of course, yeah, a, you know, a bunch of guys from wherever it was, Montreal, um, came by and showed us Flame. And they were already running um, uh, a version of Rushes at the time, I think, but it was a sort of backroom thing. And, and we managed to get hold of it. And again, it, I just thought this is incredible. So, you know, we've had that big change from analog to digital. And now we've really fully in post-production online got the change into um, non-linear and I just thought it was amazing <laughs> I went to I went to the you know the rest of the board at the mill and just said we've got to be just totally on this and we, we need to change every single online suite and make it a flame suite and they were like you can't do that amazing <laughs> we've invested millions <laughs> yeah, in it was so expensive <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and back then my street used to run it out at I don't know 1500 pounds an hour or something ridiculous you know it's oh, just yeah. been going down in in cost ever since, isn't it? But anyway, so they they oh, they were invested in this um, hefty gear. So I I saw I went to see the guy who was um, testing it at um, who I think was a Henry operator. Do you remember Henry and do you know, do you know things like yeah. Quantel Henry and Quantel? Yeah. Um, and I think it was the Henry operators. He saw the flame thing. He loved it too. And we we just got together and said, well, why don't we start a fresh company? Based, you know, a bit like the mill did of not have not have been yep. tied by all that old analog gear and having to pay it off and things like that. So the best thing to do is start something fresh. So so we started this thing. We started a company called Smoke and Mirrors, uh, which is still going strong today, as far as I'm aware. And the the idea was it was just based around flame. Nice. And uh, that that was the first intro to flame. Uh, and it and it it's great when you start something fresh. You get that feeling of you can do everything. There's um, there's a everything's heavily music based for me, and there was an album out at the time. I was just listening to it on the radio actually, funny, uh, by Bank uh, Oasis, right? And it was called Definitely Maybe, and it was like full of oh, attitude. Yeah. It's an English band, right? And it came out at the same time we were setting up Smoke and Mirrors, and it sort of that was summed it up for us. We we had that same sort of swagger that um, that band did, and that's how we approached that's awesome. it. But it was full on. But it was back in the days when you know a flame cost nearly a million pounds or a million bucks or whatever. I know. You know, and we and we were trying to get together a, not only a building a company, but we wanted um, four of these things. And you know the computer power <laughs> alone. <laughs> you know, so, so we 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 basically hopped all our houses and did whatever we could to get it off the ground. We were, we were pretty pretty sure of ourselves, you know. And bearing in mind, I'd never. Yeah used a flame and anger. I'd only used it in the back room. I did one job at it at the mill before I left, before I realized it was amazing. It was quite a big job. It was for Hugh Hudson. 
for uh, for British Airways. Okay. But um, so I but I just knew it was the right thing, and I had to give up the online and, and go this this approach. And back then, everyone was called flame operators, you know, or operators, Henry operators. And I didn't like that. So we really pushed to call them artists. You know? So we were like calling ourselves artists. We were in this, we were in this rock and roll company. We, did a, we, we turned into this building in Beak Street. We decided we were going to get our own building. And we turned up at this, this sort of, I don't know, building site. And the guy said, oh, I don't want to rent it to you. I want, I want to sell it to you now. We were like, well, can we do that? We're only like, I don't know what, what age we were at the time, 25, 26. And we were like, okay, we'll go to the bank and get a mortgage. So we did, and they gave us a mortgage for 10 years. And it turned out to be the best thing we ever did because, you know, property prices and all that. Um, but so we had our own building. We had we had four flames worth almost a million dollars each. And we started this thing. It was like a collective. And, and I, it's probably the thing I'm most one of the companies I'm most proud of really, but it, you know, it was all about the pictures. We, we didn't really, it, we didn't even tell people what the gear was we were using. It was quite a, it was quite an unusual approach, you know, cause you used to sell things by the piece of equipment, by the hour. We never did that. We, we were much more like, okay, you tell us what project you've got. And we'd like to work with you on it. And that's cool. And it, it was a slight twist. It was a twist on the whole thing. We wanted to get away from hourly rates, and our, you know, unfortunately, things went back to hourly rates rather than. But we used to just take on projects, <laughs> and it was crazy. We just decided again. We did some of the best work we could. You know, the awards were flying in, and again, I got to about seven years in that company. We seems to be about seven years, funny enough, <laughs> before I want, want to do something yeah, else. Right, right. Um, <laughs> You know, Flame, that was back when Flame was on uh, those beige whack-on tablets with everything was beige. Oh. You know, you still had the four, you still had a four by three monitor. Uh, we used to have all that fiber cable stuff to get all the gear down to the basement. And yes, but it was still great. I absolutely loved it. It was the freedom um, that you got from using a Flame. And we were very in with um, the people writing the software and stuff. You know, when it was discrete logic and okay, and I got him out. I love those times because the guy would just come round with a new um, new build of the software and go try this. You know, be like, oh yeah, that's great, and they, and they'd be presenting stuff to you, new thing <laughs> you didn't know you needed. You know, which I love that when people present you stuff and go, and they have they have no idea what it can do. You don't have any idea what it can do, but you try it and you go, yeah, that's really useful. And um, right, right, and I love that. And they were, but they were like going, "I've got this great idea," and they were putting it in the software and then bringing it around. And that's uh, cool. Uh, and I must say, it was mainly led by the relationship that Sean, you know, I mentioned earlier, the guy from Rushes. I don't know if I mentioned his name, but he yeah. was the flame op there, and he was my sort of um, partner at uh, Smoke and Mirrors. And he had a great relationship with them, uh, so he was constantly sort of talking to them about what they needed and. And then they bought something out, which I had a bit more involvement in, which uh, was smoke um, because of my oh. editing background, you know, you know, I wanted to turn it more into a nonlinear editor as well as doing post, which sort of went a different yeah. direction in the end. But um, anyway, but the, the important thing for me was it's, it, it enabled me to create things that I couldn't do in an online suite. And online suites were very, like I said, they're very linear. They're very, uh, they're fast, you know, I've never been able to get back to that speed 
of doing things. It was real time um, in so many wow. ways. And it's such a shame because, you know, they, everyone promises real time and then we jump from HD to 4K and then we jump from 4K to 8K and it just gets not bad. Yeah. We're still rendering. I love the yeah, I still have to remind clients. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've just built render times into my uh, you know, breaks now. And things like that. Anyway, but, but it's much better than it was. Um, but it's the freedom thing for me. And the one thing I really caught on to with um, Flame that I absolutely loved was the desktop. And I and I know it came, you know, it came from Quantel, Henry, and which are, you know, and it's meant to be film reels, but, you know, I use it horizontally and I just love it. It's, I still use it all the time. It's still my base. Uh, it, it, it makes me feel like I'm creating something rather than writing a file to if you know what I mean. And, and that for me, you know, I can cut a clip in half and then put the front of it on the end. And, you, you know, just simple things like that, that I absolutely love and everything else I've ever tried, like After Effects or anything like that, you just feel like you're writing, you're doing a process and you're writing something to a drive. It, it didn't, doesn't engage uh, with me the same way that yeah. the Flame desktop was and just the way it works. And so, so I love it. And, I, you know, I've been right from the start, I can't say I was the first. I think probably Sean or whoever in the States was uh, doing it, but but certainly up there. And, you know, within the first year of the flame, being really out in London and with Smoke and Mirrors, you, yeah, I won flame. I can't remember they called it Flame Artist of the Year or Visual Effects Artist or something like that, and a peer poll and something else. Oh, okay. And it just sort of took off. And we had a great time sort of putting images together, really putting pictures. And the real emphasis was on that. And it also corresponded with me doing a lot of work with a design company called Tomato, who've been around for um, a little, yeah, a little bit before that. I still work with them now, actually. They're not called that anymore. But and um, I did a I did a whole load of I love sort of titles and typography and things like that. And we did a whole load of campaigns, specifically as one for Radio Scotland at the time, which again just cleaned up at the awards. You know, Radio Scotland. Um, I think won about 10 awards and a whole bunch of Nike stuff. And again, it was really nice to be able to work in that way. And the great thing about Flame for me, because of the tablet as well, is when I have one of those designers or an artist or or a director even sitting next to me, they sort of know what you're doing. You, you know, they feel involved. They, they can see the desktop with the clips on it. They can see what you're doing. They can see how you're pushing the pen around and things are happening. And I think that was a real big factor of, of why a director or an artist or whatever would like to sit next to you and see what you're doing because they feel involved. And, and other bits of software haven't got that, for, uh, I don't think, still. So, yeah. You know, you, you sort of people like, you know, I was doing a bit of work with Fusion and Resolve and things like that. And you go, why don't you just put a desktop on it? And they're like, why? And it's like, <laughs> well, if you're asking that question, <laughs> I'll put someone else. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't get it. Um, it's, it's good fun. And, and Smoke and Mirrors is great for that. And then, then Smoke and Mirrors sort of became a money-making machine and it, it, for me and it, from my point of view. And it, and it sort of changed from being a little bit of um, where you make beautiful pictures and that's the only important thing to being more about mm -hmm. you know, yearly profits going up and things like that, which, which they all do after a while. And I get it. I totally get it, but it's not for me. So I left there and yeah. I... Uh, 
did some other stuff. And then that brings me fast forward through about another three or four companies um, to the latest one, which got raised by Wolf, um, which unfortunately we named it just before a TV show came out, um, which was called Raised by Wolf. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is yeah. a bit annoying. But, but it's you know, a cool name. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and Raised by Wolves is, is even different. It's taking that idea of picture making to the next stage again that we it, you know we're now beyond the uh, realms of just being doing commercials or just doing this yep. or just doing that but we're now broken broken that idea that we just take on projects that's all we do um mm-hmm. and it doesn't really doesn't matter where you know i've done stuff for artists installations i've done and again a lot of it a lot of the interesting stuff for me seems to be in movies and stuff these days um which i love yeah and i love working with that crowd i love the idea that you're working to a script you know and the script is everything and everything you're doing is to make the script work which i like which isn't always the case in ads you know in ads it can be there's there's too too many other factors you know that they're worried about the script is almost um, sidelined towards the end of the process anyway um but anyway, I love it. So the voice bubbles is, is a bit more, you know, it's even freer form than anything else I've ever done. Um, and also we direct stuff. We direct stuff. Wow. We second unit direct, we direct, you know, I direct commercials. I just finished directing a commercial. That's awesome. Uh, which, which is really good fun. So, you, you know, I just see it all part of, and I still use Flame as the the key to it all, really. You know, it's where it's where it all comes together. But that's, sorry, that was an incredibly long answer. Your no, no, that was question. that was awesome. <laughs> that that was a perfect, perfect recap. And actually, I kind of want to go a little further back. Um, going from online to flame and doing more compositing. How are you self-taught? Did did someone mentor you? Because that's a big step, right? Once you kind of jump into compositing. Because I'm assuming on the linear online, you weren't doing any compositing, right? <laughs> Uh, funny enough, I was. Yeah, I was. Um, oh, you were. I was. Oh, doing, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it, it back back then, online a, a good online suite wasn't what you think of as online now, where it's really conforming and um, ah, putting stuff okay. together, putting the whole. Project. Back then, online was everything. You know, this 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 was gotcha before the the Quantel stuff was something that, that was just on the sideline that if you wanted something painted out or, you, you know, I'm, again, I'm doing a lot of people to service here, probably in the Quantel world, but the way the whole job came together in the online suite, you know, and you did as much compositing as you could, you know, I'd layer up 30 layers of stuff. Ah, uh, okay. big thing actually was one of my big things back then uh, was working on animation commercials. So, you know, the animators suddenly realized that they could bring all their cells, they could shoot their cells as separate layers onto onto film and then bring it in, we grade it, and then I'd layer it up. And, you know, so I, I was doing all sorts of, you know, Tony the Tigers and Felix the Cats and all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, animation stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Because it, so I, I did a lot of compositing anyway, basically. But it's, in a way, it wasn't, it didn't go across into that fine level of detail that you then got from the people that were running the Henry's and the paint boxes. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, obviously flame, okay. flame uh, online wasn't a precision tool. It was like, 
putting lots of as many layers as you could. It was about a layering tool, really, back then for yeah. me. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously, you you did do green screen stuff, you know, because yeah, the mixer, Abacus mm -hmm. mixer, we had was very good at keying, very good at. Um, but you it, you sort of missed that you lacked the finesse of what the sort okay. of the the paint people could do. And then, so when Flamer came along, for me, it was like everything I was doing before, but with the finesse. Okay, that makes sense. So it was it was an easier transition. Uh, yeah, because I was sort of doing that anyway, but it allowed me to take it a step further. Even further. That was the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's... And, and then the, uh, you know, there's a big organizational uh, thing behind everything you do, isn't there? How you, even back in the linear analog days, you know, how you spooled your one inch machines up and sub masters and things like that. You, know, so you have to be very organized and flame sort of allows that you not to be so organized. I feel, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you obviously do have to in case somebody takes over the job or, or whatever, but it's, it's great that you can be free form with it. You can just make a clip and then stick another one on top. And that, that's the difference again, like I said earlier with flame and other things is it allows me to be, um, I think more creative which is good. Right. Good. Right. So we yeah. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Well, so back at, when you guys started smoking mirrors, I know you were saying it was, it was somewhat of a different approach to visual effects for clients. When you started, did you have clients already like, Hey John, like here's some work or did you just start the company hoping that people were going to come work with you guys? How, how did that go? I'm always curious how companies start. <laughs> you know, We were all pretty much top of our field. Funnily enough, we didn't own the grading suite at the time. I can't remember why we didn't. Oh, okay. I think it's lack of space. Because and there were also companies back then that very much specialised in it. Um, which my my uh, one of my business partners in Raised by Wolves it was one of the top grader at the time, and we always used to use him. So funnily enough, we we've now got a company together. Now you um, work together, but <laughs> yeah, after, after I've known him forever. But uh, um, but we were pretty much top of our field. The, the, the difficult thing was, is how long you take yourself out of the market when you start a company. It's like when we started the mill, you know, I was out of action for six months, I think, which when, when you're in a key point in your career, you know, to not be doing stuff, but, you know, because I guess that people forget quickly, but it was okay. We, we managed to, and then we, um, but Smoke and Mirrors, we managed to get going straight away. We were working in a, out of a, you know, a rough basement somewhere we did a levi's commercial oh cool and it was in an office we did it like before we had the building for smoke and mirrors before we'd done everything and uh it was like the big levi's ad you know we had people knocking on our door tracking us down that, that's awesome so we we never sort of had that problem and then when we started when we started smoke and mirrors it was a bit like a speakeasy you know we wouldn't let people in through the door <laughs> And we had people like <laughs> That's awesome. knocking on the door and going, can we come in and use you? And we're like, maybe. <laughs> it was quite arrogant. You know? it, was, it was very... Right. But, but it was quite, in a way, it was quite good because people sought us out. And I think we were lucky, though, because, you know, I was, I was saying about riding those seismic waves of changes in post-production. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wanted it to be all about the artist and not about the equipment. So we sold Smoke and Mirrors, not on being a flame house, but on being me, Sean, and the other guys. Uh, 
as being as being characters and artists and you know they it it's it sort of it was irrelevant what we were using even though actually it was mm-hmm. really important it was irrelevant in terms of how we sold ourselves you know we'll, we'll get the job done you don't need to know how we're going to do it no. sort of thing <laughs> which is quite strange you, you know to answer your question though it's um we we did do we were at the top of our game and we were able to not um be out of action for too long that's cool that's cool so people were keen to keep keep using us yeah so when i remember when logic had a magazine you know like discreet would put out that logic magazine you guys got a really nice Hmm. write-up and uh they were they were they mentioned that it was it was more of like the artist uh direct with the client less middlemen in the process and kind of like the best tool for the job that's that's the vibe i got absolutely yeah we we'd play it down a little bit to be honest what we were using and and i felt it was really important but it, it wasn't didn't seem to be important in the big scale of things in terms of where companies were going at that time you know they were going much more team based and um mm-hmm. and and i sort of didn't want to do that <laughs> yeah i wanted it to be character based and you know artist based and people based because you know if, if if somebody's doing well you make them a nice environment to work in and you give them the the percentage that they want then everyone's happy and you know i didn't get that whole idea that it's the management that were the most important mm-hmm. um okay you know everyone's important but it's the artist that's most important yeah it's and their connection with their clients so that's, that was, yeah, that magazine was great. That was a guy with a fish on his head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> there was a front cover of that magazine. Yeah, we were in that, I was in that a few times, actually. Yeah. We also had this, uh, we had this big break as well because I did a load of stuff and they had this big initiative over here to get more film work in. So the government did this big presentation and a, and a magazine and a, all sorts of things to, to encourage filmmakers to use talent. And I was a big part of that. They they sold smoke and mirrors as um, what we were doing quite heavily. You know, it had the Queen's approval and all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was mad, but uh, it was all good fun. They, they made, they, we, had, we had a lot of good fun. But, you know, I make it sound like it was all serious stuff, but we had a we we did some great work and we we were enjoying ourselves. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And then you guys, you guys branched out into the U.S. market as well in, in New York, right? Yeah, that was after I left. Oh, that was after that you was left. Ah, oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, yeah. I basically left to go directing mm-hmm. uh, because I people started asking me to direct stuff, and I loved it. I thought it was great, and so that's that's the reason I left there was because I I felt you couldn't really do that sort of commitment to being in the suite the whole time and setting up a job to direct. So I started, um, well, no, actually I joined a production company um, and then we started one after that. And I started directing and started directing pretty big budget um, ads, which is all good fun. But then when I I found it very difficult to sit behind somebody in a suite (laughs) that was doing what I do. You know, I tried, I tried really hard to, to not say anything and, you know, and I hope I didn't take the pen off anyone. I'm sure I didn't. That would be rude. <laughs> right. But I, I did find it hard. And so I ended up setting up a suite again in the production company. Amazing. Uh, 
even though I'd left, you know, so I'd left smoke mirrors just to do my own work, really. And then again, we had we had people knocking on the door. And sorry, so this is a bit of history again, really, because then there was this other guy who's, who I haven't mentioned yet. There was been there all the way along this path, pretty much. A guy called Tom Sparks. Oh, Tom Sparks, who, yeah. I've heard of him. Mill, he was, yeah, yeah, no, partner in crime in many ways. And um, he was a big part of the mill, huge part of the mill. He came from rushes, the same as half the mill did at that time. Um, and he was Paintbox and Henry. Mm-hmm. I think he was... And then he, when he saw Flame too, he he went crazy. But he didn't leave the mill when I did to set it up. But I kept talking to him and... Um, he started, he bought into this idea that it was all about the artist, I think, and things like that. Yeah. And he really enjoyed that. And so about a year after we set up Smoking Mirrors, he came and joined us. Uh, and that, that was a big deal because he was a big flame guy at the mill and he came to join us. So he was part of that. So he was part of Smoking Mirrors for a big part of the time. Okay. And then when I left there um, and I set up a suite, I was working with a lot of directors at the time that, that obviously directors have quite a lot of money and a lot of them wanted to own their post. So I sort of got Tom involved and, and I, and we set up this company called play, which was funded by four or five, of the biggest directors in town wow. doing commercials. And we thought this was, we thought this was quite canny because not only will we get all the good work, but they're going to be wanting to use us all the time because they own us. Yeah, you know, well, I'm part of us at least. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and again, it was a easy thing. Of um, we didn't let anyone in. We didn't advertise. We didn't do anything. People probably still don't know about us. But it was the game. It was the hot ticket, and we had people chasing us down and getting upset if they couldn't get in. And the other thing we did, we were in this art gallery where we set it up, and all the flame suites were in the same room. There were no doors or walls or anything like that whoa so we had this idea it didn't matter if somebody was sitting next to you uh doing a completely different job right yeah which turned out it did matter to a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> they didn't like that right. the fact that somebody could, could be sitting next to them on a completely different job because you know so many jobs are top secret and what have you i know so but it was again it was a unique thing that was me and tom but there was an interesting business model there which mm-hmm. you know because i owned a production company by then and I could see the fact that work was, you know, you spend a lot of money on wages, you spend a lot of money in, in post houses on um, uh, equipment, things like that. You could see the equipment prices were kind of getting cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. Um, but obviously the people were still... So I, in production companies, it doesn't work like that. In production companies, it it's different. Everyone takes a cut of the job that comes in. Oh. You know, you, you take your fee. Uh, it's not, you're not on a salary. You're not even on a retainer. Okay. as a director in a production company. And it works really well because then if you're quiet, no money's going out other than, you know, yeah. running your building or whatever it is. But when you're busy and a big job comes in, you make a lot of money. Wow. Okay. Right? So it, you, what you do. And so I applied that same business model to play productions and it's the same business model for raised by walls nice. is no one's on a salary. A job comes in and you take 75% of the value of that job for yourself. Wow. Which is which is huge. Yeah, that's right? huge. <laughs> um, and 25% goes to the company. And what it enables you to do is it enables you 
to just take on the work you want to work on, mm-hmm. um, knowing that you're you're not on a, a salary that, and it means that the company can exist even if you're quiet. Right. And that's... I thought that was great. It only works in certain circumstances. It doesn't work for everyone. You know, you, you need to be very self-published um, published in terms of right. need, people need to know who you are. You, you know, it, it's a certain way of doing things, but it mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. And that's how we run Raised by Wolves. That's how we write and play. It's very profitable for everyone. It was also very profitable for the directors that have funded us. Wow. That's, that's cool. But again, that, that was the start funding of the equipment getting cheaper. You know, so you've gone from a million bucks a machine down by then. I think it was 100,000, 120,000 a machine. Yeah. You still need to build a machine room back then because it's all big, hefty Linux boxes with, you need air cons and things. And, um, and funnily enough, the, the, the change to Raised by Wolves was one of these tinier increments where all of a sudden we don't need a machine room anymore. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and the pandemic pushed that even further because we were running off Mac Studios. Oh yeah, uh, you, you know with Apple XDR screens, and it's it's wonderful because I can sit here. There's no heat generated. There's no, you know, the equipment doesn't cost very much, but it's fast. You know, it's super fast. Okay, it might not be as fast as, as you know the biggest, most expensive Linux box, but it's fast enough. Yes, and to be creative with it and. You know, and then I spend all my money on um, very fast Thunderblades, right? Backing it up, you <laughs> exactly. know. Um, you know, I got like forty-eight terabytes of Thunderblades, the OWC dump Thunderblades. You're know, running there at two thousand eight hundred megabits a second, or whatever it is. I don't know the tech, but that's awesome. That's where the speed comes, and it means I can work so fast, and and I love it. And so now that's you know that was kicked on by the pandemic, right? And then obviously we're now on the start of the third seismic event in post-production, I feel all the rest of increments, I feel, yeah. but th- this is, which is obviously machine learning AI. Um, you know, this job I just directed and I did all the post on, I needed this computer character walking around a room doing evil things. And, um, we just shot him doing it for real and used uh, wonder AI to motion capture the, the character and, and then run it through our scene and it worked absolutely brilliantly. Oh, that's, you know, and then I needed to map the guy off the background. So I used machine learning tools to take him off the background, no green screen involved. And it's the next big revolution, obviously, isn't it? I mean, everyone feels that, but it um, means we can do things quicker, easier and better, I guess. Yeah. Did you use that? Uh, was well, it good fun though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, did you use Runway ML for the the roto to plop them off, or was it something else? Uh, no, I, I have been using. I've been testing that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I like that. No, I just used um, uh, Resolve oh, uh, cool. and and machine learning and flame actually, because the the machine learning you know the taking a mat out. It fortunately in the, for this thing I was doing, I needed a character that was glitching around mm-hmm. as he was moving around. So the machine learning in flame, you know, and it's got that look, isn't it? It's not perfect, but it, it enables you to do certain things. And that was perfect for what I was doing because it was a bit rough around the edges. So, yeah, but resolve, um, you know, resolves stuff is, is groundbreaking. Yeah. I've, I've just started getting into runway. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's all incredible. And, um, 
Actually, there was one comment I was going to make about the the whole flame. You know, yeah. even though it's still the the core of my setup, the reason I'm on a Mac now is not just for the ease of yeah. use and um, in fact, it's quiet and, and cool, but it's because I run so many other programs. I was going to say, you know, yeah. And, and that's one thing I feel is a bit of a shame. You know, I flame right through to about 10 years ago was, was everything, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you know, you went to flame. That's where you did your job. That's where you started. That's where you finished it. That's where you did everything. Right. Yeah. And now I just spend so much time adding stuff to that so you know i'm using blender for cg um i'm using i love blender by the way i think it's one of the fan, most fantastic programs and it's free and um I've got, yeah, yeah well no i pay my subs you know because i think <laughs> okay, they, you know, they, they deserve it <laughs> actually look at the compositing side of what they're doing in there you know it's it's interesting it's like very nice little batch thing they've got going on in in blender oh, that's cool. but anyway um, my, my point is you know it used to be the it used to be the be all and end all and the most innovative thing you know like it would do tracking before anyone else did tracking it would do this and and i feel i do feel on a slightly negative note about it all we, we're just playing catch up most of the time now yeah but it's still in a position i think where it's it's my favorite place to be but i do find myself you know, I'm using again the camera tracking in Blender is just amazing. Okay. Um, and Mocker and things like that. Like, you know, I use other programs because they're much more advanced. You know, th uh, anything anything where we touch 3D, I'm out of flame as fast as I can right. get because <laughs> it's, just, it's just, I think it's horrible. Do you I tried putting a shadow on it, you know. I know. Whereas in Blender or Cinema 4D or anything, you know, whatever you want to use, as soon as you put a light on and go into redshift or cycles, it looks amazing. It looks real. It? You know, we need that. You know, we need, we, in terms of, you know, they own Arnold for it. Yeah. You know, we should be, I get this fact that you want it to be quick, but then there should be a button that says make it look good. Right. <laughs> and then it goes slow or something, you know. <laughs> You know I mean? I'd much rather stay in flame. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I'd much rather stay in flame for the tracking. But, you, know, you know, the camera tracking is like nowhere near. I know as good as other companies. I know, um, but anyway, but I still, it's that place that I love to be, and it feels like home. It, it's creative, and it's it, everything else is is great. I just wish they would. Um, I guess it's the way it is now. There's so many other companies, and there weren't back then. Yeah. Exactly. So it's you know, so it's even little pockets of people to specialize in something and and bring out something new. But then again, that's why I'm on a Mac because for me, I can run all these things. That's awesome. Simultaneously without crashing. That's amazing. And jump files between very far. So yeah, but it but it's still it's it's that hub, it's that core existence yeah. uh, flame for me, and that's where I start the job and end the job. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm right I'm there like with you. A bit along the way. Like when um, want to stay in flame as much as possible, but when say a GMAS tracer doesn't play in our track something, it's like take it to Mocha, <laughs> you know. Or when Flame uh, can't import a new camera yeah. file, go to Resolve because for some odd reason Resolve can import whatever file, you know, is out there. So yeah, I think you do have to just be a little more open. Yeah, I think you do these days, and I gotta admit, I love Resolve. I think it's great. Is it? I use it to edit on. I think it's a great editor. And Fusion's really good. You know, so the keying in Fusion 
I I think is I just did a job where I did a lot of green screen, you know, car plates, things like that, and I ended up keying them in Fusion. Whoa. Um, the Delta Keyer and stuff like that is just it's just I think it's phenomenal. It it's it has everything in there that you need to to get the thing. But then of course I take all the elements back into flame. <laughs> to put it, do the final to put it together. Yeah. And, <laughs> but uh, I'm a sort of fan of that. Um, you know, I hope with flame, flame in the future. Um, for me, things I really would love to see better are the general keying uh, tools. Obviously, you know, yeah. subtitling as well. You know, always getting asked oh to subtitle things. Please put a subtitle track in there. I know. And then while you're there, fix text. Yeah, yeah. so much. It's oh. been like that since we started smoking marijuana. So much pain. I, I, I just had a job like that. Yeah, it, it's just, whereas in Resolve, subtitle layer is just phenomenal. Texting is phenomenal. <laughs> right. um, but, um, you know, I'd like, to see, I'd like to see that. And I'd, like, I'd love to see the 3D side of it get a bit better. Mm-hmm. A lot better, actually. Not a bit better. Camera tracking, you know, planar tracking. Yeah. You know, just bump all that up, really. But otherwise, yeah. it's still... It's still home. That's so for a lot of paint. I think it's. I mean, it's definitely the fastest. You know, yes, you could paint in uh, Fusion, Nuke, and all of that, but there is something about Flame where it just chews through stuff. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the heavy CG compositing, there there are better tools. And Batch Batch is a lovely place to be. The desktop's a lovely place to be. Um, you know, it has ninety percent of the tools I need. Ten percent are missing. Yeah. Uh, out of the ninety percent, <laughs> I reckon twenty percent could be a lot better. Right. <laughs> but you know, it's all, it's all still it's all still great. Yeah. I, actually, one thing because I did a bit of work with the guys at Resolve. One one thing I'm not that keen on with Autodesk is this whole sort of voting for bug fixes and voting for new features and you know, like you don't get enough likes on something and. It doesn't happen. And oh, yeah. I just wish they were a bit more like, you know, I mentioned earlier with when it was discrete logic and I really wish that they would just come more to us and go, look, I've done this. Right. Rather than, it seems, it seems to me like a lot of it is, okay, there's, so there's this voting thing that if you don't put your feature request on there and so many people vote for it, then it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather see a whole bunch of people in a room back there going, wouldn't it be exciting if we did this? Let's just do it and send it out. To right. See what they think. Yeah, no, no, for sure. But again, but again I, my view, I think it's me being incredibly naive about how these things run, <laughs> software companies. And how many developers but, they have uh, for that product. Yeah. yeah. Pro- yeah. yeah. But no, that's a, that's a good that's a good take. I, I, I never really thought of that, the, the voting system. Um, it seems like Resolve does something different, right? <laughs> if you do a feature request. <laughs> Yeah, I talked to a few people there, and you get on a Zoom call to the software guys, and they go, oh, we never thought of that. And then literally, you know, next release, it's in there. Oh, my gosh. Going, oh, wow. Um, you know, I, you know but, it, but it, obviously, it's different. It's a different thing, and I don't know how many people work on it. But it, it'll never, for me, replace Flame, and, you know, Flame, Flame is the place. Yeah. For sure, for sure. You know, also, um, before uh, we kind of wrap this up, I, I know you've done some title sequences. Uh, I saw you did, like, Train Spotting too. Ah, yes. And, yeah, I love title sequences. Um, yep. 
did you uh it's my favorite yeah yeah what's the process like for that is it kind of they is it similar to a commercial they just book you like hey we need some title work or is it a a different process yes it's a different process because this this comes from my um you remember said i've worked with a a company called tomato Mm -hmm. over the years um they're a type, type design and type design directing the creative force really and I, I was sort of labeled as being the fifth beetle for that company, really, because I did so much of their stuff. <laughs> and um, that's awesome. And that was the Radio Scotland. And there was this thing called The Guardian. There was um, all sorts of things, uh, these Nike things we did way back. And just, and I kept, they've slightly disbanded. They're still going, but only as one person. But the rest of them, I still work with a lot. And then, funnily enough, I literally just yesterday finished a title sequence with two oh, of them. Nice. For Bong Joon, Bong Joon Ho's new film, oh. um, which isn't out yet, so I, don't, I can't really talk okay. about it. But I think it's called Mickey Seventeen. We literally finished that, and they're the they're the same guys um, that uh, we did Train Spotting with. We did we do a lot of Danny Boyle's stuff. So we did Yesterday. We oh, did yeah. Um, yep. all sorts of things, uh, and uh, yeah, I I agree. I, I absolutely love titles. I love everything so so i tend we tend to get stuff through them because they're very well known cool in that area so and then i've got this collaboration between the three of us we we take on title sequences and we basically split it three ways and you know they come in as the type designers one guy's incredibly good at you know working out the overall feel of the what titles what type fonts whatever go where and you know he's brilliant at that the other guy's very good at the moving side of it and then i pull it all together and act as the sort of animation slash look nice person and it works really well they're struggling to work remotely actually but then they're never around but they 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 much prefer being in a room okay because that's you know that's where the 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 creativity happens between the three of us yeah so i need to get back to that with them that that's sort of how it happens i've had a few come in uh direct i did a nick cave title sequence um for a little movie he had out and that came direct and a few other things but you know way back at smoke and mirrors we did loads as well we did um we did a james bond one actually oh. um and which one because we did a lot of work with daddy Kleiman back then uh oh, I, I didn't know sean did most of it um it was world is not enough i think okay okay gotcha which which I've got to admit, I, I struggle with when I see it because <laughs> it's every single look is remember Sapphire Sparks Sapphire Sparks came out that year I think <laughs> and I'm not going to say anything other than it looks like a Sapphire like, Sparks like um, ad yeah demo demo reel <laughs> right right okay yeah everything everything's in there that's amazing psycho blobs you know that. every every single thing uh, they ever do that's awesome it's funny now these things go talking about that you know I love, I love all these little add-ons that you get into flame i think a big thing for me was when flame introduced uh open fx yeah you know the fact that i can use sapphire again now properly and the boris stuff and you know because all that stuff's quirky mm-hmm. and that's how you sort of keep a lot of these things alive is is by you know having little because even though flame my you know it was my start and end and everything you were still relied heavily on plugins. I say Sparks, probably people don't know Sparks aren't even a thing anymore. There's Matchbox and um, the Matchbox stuff's great, but I still, the Sapphire stuff is great and some of the Boris stuff is, and I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The, the more little hooks in like that you can have, 
external software the best. And one of, one of my go-tos, a neat video as an open effect to do your uh, denoise. Oh, every single job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I agree. I agree. Every movie, uh, every movie I work on, every single shot is mm-hmm. through neat video. It's a, it's a fantastic tool. That yeah. I spend more money on neat video licenses than. Oh, I know. I know. You know, curious about that. Um, you know, I know every company is different. Do you guys run kind of like a denoised uh, pipeline? Like you denoise it, do your whole comp, and then regrain at the end? Or do you just um, denoise the little parts you need to do your paint work and then just kind of patch it in? We, we don't run everything through okay. denoise, yeah. no. Um, I'd rather as much as possible keep it with the camera yep. graining um, and work with it. Um, so I would never do that as a blanket, you know, cause if you look at it carefully, it's doing some pretty horrific stuff mm-hmm. to make it look smooth. Yeah. You know, if you go right in on it, it's not nice what it's doing, but it works and it, it looks good overall, but I would never personally run a whole show through it yep. just for the sake of it has to be all the same. So I would definitely do it for keying always. I'd do it for certain things always, but Again, I'd always try and use the camera. Yeah, uh, green. Yeah, I uh, wherever possible. I agree. Like I, you know, use it and then just patch it in, and then always just comp it over the uh, original plate. You know, to keep as much as possible from the original. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, you have to you have to go that way for certain things, but there are certain things where you need that grain layer at the end of the comp to gel it together. But wherever possible, I, I try and keep it as per the camera. That's cool. That's cool. Anything, I know we were kind of talking about Flame and, you know, we're using other applications, but has there been any tool that's been implemented recently that you've been using a lot within Flame, be it like the ML tools or anything like that or Matchboxes? Uh, I tend to use Matchboxes just for that quirky thing. You know, I use Matchboxes a lot in titles Okay. when I'm doing titles yeah. to... Actually, yeah, check out this one. I did it for his film. I don't know how big a film it was. It's called How to Stop a Recurring Dream. Okay. Right, and I did this titles, and it's very Matchbox heavy. I'll have to check it it's out. like me saying about Sapphire Defaults. Uh, I think it's out and about. I think it might have been on Sky. Uh, it's, it's a proper film. But anyway, I did the titles, and it's very heavily based on, you know, Ivor Beer's... Ah. Um, croc yes things there, there was a look that one of them did that i just thought i've got to get this into a title oh thing. that's cool okay i gotta track this down somehow <laughs> i did that i want to see it <laughs> how to stop a recurring dream okay and, and it was one of those things they had a two days booked in to do the titles two days that's and it? i came up with that look <laughs> yeah wow yeah oh yeah yeah my god that's long oh it is okay <laughs> <laughs> um Actually, actually saying that this one we just did for Bong Hoon Joe, the um that's been going on for six right. weeks now, but that's mainly because of you know people's availability that not not how long I've actually spent on yeah. it. But yeah, so anyway, we had two days booked in and literally within the first half an hour I came up with a look. Wow. Yeah, uh, I just I, I went for this thing and everyone went, Yeah, that's great. <laughs> That's, that was it. That's awesome. Everyone, everyone went home. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real art, you know, when you're working with somebody that has the ability to notice when something's good 
and walk away. It, it, so many people don't want to do that. They're like, I've got two days. Let's try every single avenue possible. And I just looked and went, I think this is great. And the type designer said, I think this is great. That's awesome. And you could tell there was a few people in the room just itching to spend two days now <laughs> messing it up. Right, right, exactly. And I'm like, no, walk away. That's great. We came, we, we came up with something fantastic. Walk away is a real strength, I find, in some creative directors and not others. Yeah. That know when something's good and when to just go, when to go, that's it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes you, you get it on five minutes after the last hour of the job, you know. Yeah. So it doesn't always happen. But, yeah. But when it does, you know, embrace it and go, yeah, yeah. it's all go for lunch. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, before we wrap this up, John, um, I have a few flame-specific questions. I know you do use desktop, and you did yep. say you use horizontal. So I, I think I don't have to ask that question. Um, yeah. Are you flame or smoke hotkeys? Flame. Okay. And then... Flame, uh, flame, but I've tweaked, I've tweaked a few things to make it more like um, Shift Z for Timeline Home. Oh my God. You know, John, things that were a little bit more. I, I have the same thing. Final Cut Pro. Shift Z. Yeah. I use the same one because yeah, I, yeah. I came from Avid and Final Cut too. So, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yep, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Shift Z. I just, it's one of those things I can't do without. Yeah. So I tweaked that. One thing I, I would love is them to somebody hopefully can say oh no you can do that but i'd love a keyboard setup that makes it mac centric oh like i, I want command a not you know not whatever it is. so i have to go in and change all those no, me, me too and me too. i would love space bar to be play space bar should be play mm, yeah like every other yeah <laughs> like non-literary exactly. yeah i would love it oh my gosh yeah but a mac thing would be great but but yeah yeah shift said i, I tweak that but it's all based on flame hotkeys not smoke. smoke same right there with you uh when it comes to the wacom tablet do you uh, have it in front of your keyboard or off to the side i have it in front i can hang on i know i can't show you i've got a different camera <laughs> um it's always in front I use the Wacom, uh, whatever it's called, the a the slightly bigger one. Okay. Not the really. I don't think they make a super big one anymore, but it's like the what they call large, but it's not that large. And uh, and I have the keys. I'm using an Apple keyboard, uh-huh. uh, which is sort of hung over the top of the Wacom, right. <laughs> nice. but slightly to the left. Nice. Oh, yeah. And I use okay. these little that sticky feet. That I found that just raise it up enough on three corners of the keyboard. Ah. So, and the Wacom holds the other one. And it's something it's something I'm so used to. I also, which is quite odd, I see a lot of people with their Wacom directly in front of the monitor, and my Wacom is off to the right. Uh, yeah. Not not incredible, not yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But, but it you makes know, sense. so that I'm sitting center of the monitor. I'm right here's the thing that freak you out. I'm right handed, so I have the um the media panel, whatever it's called, on the uh, right-hand side. Okay, yes. Yeah, I know some people that run it that way. I mean, I'm right-handed, yeah, too. Yeah, I'm right-handed, you know? Yeah. Why would I put it on the left? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Why I, I, I should probably... That means I've got to spend my whole time. I should tr- I should switch. I'm I'm right-handed, but I always have it on the left. So, yeah, maybe I should try it on the right. <laughs> yeah. You've your whole life with your, your arm across your body. Right, right. That's why I have, like, pain in my, my right shoulder. <laughs> 
Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know what, though? I'm, I'm obsessed with these little details um, because I think they're all so important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm obsessed with my desk, my environment that I work in. I'm obsessed with the screen height. I use a standing desk. Oh, cool. All the, on every, every suite I've got has got a standing desk in. I, it took a while to find one that was, um, you know, hefty enough to be able to push the Sony oh, right, grade one right. up as well. Yeah. Because that's on the day. So I try and do 10 minutes every hour standing, maybe more. And it's great because it gives you an energy. There's an energy about it that if you want to do, if I want to finish something quickly, I'll, I'll stand. Wow. Okay. There's something about that's cool. I can thoroughly recommend that. And I can thoroughly recommend Apple XDR monitors. Uh, I've never used uh, them. But with the super expensive stand. Okay. But obviously only if you're on Apple. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Keyboard in front always, but slightly to the left. Slightly to the left. Okay, good to know. Last last one is um, when you're in batch, um, are you a one-up view? Do you like two-up or just uh, shot dependent of what you're doing? Well, when, I, when I've got the proper broadcast monitor to the left, I'm one up okay. all the time, but I've got other suites where I'm just using no broadcast monitor and I'm just using the Apple studio display, which is again, it's a great display. And I use two up on that with the, um, with the, uh, the schematic in the middle one. Oh yeah. Yep. Perfect. Uh, so the, you know, the media panel on the right the schematic and, and then, then on the left, the, the um, preview, you know, the F4. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And that works. That works great. I just I prefer just to be one up though. Yeah, me too. But but you need a broadcast monitor to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. There's something I don't know for me with the speed. I just like one up. I mean, I know you got to hit more keys and stuff to see things, but I'm just so used to it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No. I, I'll only I'll only use two up on the uh, on the suite. Yeah. Without a broadcast monitor, if I have to, I will try and spend most of the time one up. Nice. Nice. I agree. I'd prefer the space. I prefer, and I always end up in the wrong one. You know, so me you, too. You, me too. You accidentally have the hover over the left left one, and you and you change it to be the schematic. You're like, oh, that's God. that's where I get hung yeah. up on the two up. Yeah, yeah. No, I spend my whole time. But it's it's really important this sort of stuff. People don't, you know, especially for me because I spend a lot of time in my suite. You know, I work nonstop. I'm, I'm sort of very lucky to still be working hard all the time. And, and I love working hard. I love working on shots and I love working on images. It's like what I want to do. I've always wanted to do. And, and so, so how you sit in front of your monitor and how the monitor looks and how you put your, where you put your keyboard, the Wacom is always a must. I don't know how anyone can live without a Wacom. Same. Um, and it's really important. And, you know, if you're working hard, there's, there's nothing like having a really nice setup. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I, and I think I've got one, you know, maybe I'll take a picture and you can stick it Oh, yeah. There. Yeah, definitely. That'd be... Because, you know, you, you should be running video because you need to see my screen. I know. You need to see my I know. <laughs> I know we should post the video. Yeah, for sure. That'd, that'd be awesome. Because, you know, look, I mean, it's a coach house. Yeah. It's got... Oh, I, I mean, it's beautiful. Board. Yeah. And both... I've got two... Two desks. I always use two desks. Um, oh, uh, because I run Blender on the other one. No way. Um, okay. And they're both standing desks. So I, I know it's a podcast, but um, if you can see the other one, and they both go up, they both. Match. That's awesome. So with um, with your Blender setup, is that a Mac too, or do you have a PC for that? No, no, it's uh, Mac yeah, Studio. Mac Studio. Cool. 
I love these little Mac studios. They're, they're, they're excellent. And I can flight case them up and take them wherever. I just did a job in Barcelona where the shoot was in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And we were out there for filming and putting shots together as we went. And I just take a Peli case, the Mac studio in it. Yeah. Um, I've got a case for the, the Mac studio monitor, which is great because it's got speakers in it too. Oh. So you don't need to bother with all that. And it's a really neat setup. It's very fast. And you obviously just got to put all your material on a Thunderblade. Right. That's the key to all the setups for me is to get it on, you know, one of these RAM SSD things and then it's fast. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious now that we're on kind of like the, the tech talk, um, what's, what kind of Mac studio setup do you have? Is it like the top of the line or is it the middle kind of like, where, where did you, what did you yeah, buy? Yeah. yeah. I just, I just pull the sliders to the yeah. right, and um, you took you took it to eleven. Yeah, I mean, I mean on these ones actually, I had them. Yeah, yeah eleven. They all go to eleven. <laughs> well, I just think there's, you know, for the sake of an extra thousand pounds, yeah, or whatever it costs to put the maximum RAM in there. But I, I you know, I'm not uh, necessarily an Apple fanboy, but I do like this homologated approach mm-hmm. to computing. It works for me, you know. I think, I mean, the the, the sooner Flame can totally support all those aspects. It's great that it's doing what it's doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, when I run cycles rendering on Blender through it, it is so fast. And if anything in Resolve is so fast, I mean, it's the fastest I've ever known uh, rendering in, uh, of anything. And that's because they've seriously optimized it. The Mac, uh, the Flame on the Mac is great and it's pretty good, but I think it, they could they could do a lot better. And um, and I love that idea that, you know, everyone said, oh, but there's only 96 gigabytes of RAM, whatever it is. It's like, but somehow, because it's all in part of the same thing, it, it gives you so more, much more. Right. And I can really see that. In, um, I can see that in Blender and um, Resolve. Definitely. That's cool. I mean, I mean, Blender, it was almost like real-time rendering on pretty complex things. Wow. It was crazy. Okay. Well, John, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming on the podcast. It was it was great hearing your backstory and uh, learning more about you know the companies that you uh, helped found. And all right, nice to meet you. Okay, nice to meet you too. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by AJA, together with Flame since 2006. We would like to welcome to the Logic family our friends at HotSpring. HotSpring is the future of VFX outsourcing. Hotspring connects you to great artists to get your projects done, making it easier than ever to access the best talent around the world. I highly encourage if you need any help with Roto, Paint, 3D Match Mover, Cleanup, give the folks at Hotspring a shout. You will not be disappointed. www.thehotspring.com And last but not least, Logic Academy Pro. If you haven't checked it out yet, I highly recommend it. There are so many cool courses that range from CG car replacement, cleanup, nuke for flame artists, mocha, color management, VFX supervision, and also meetups for mentoring your career. So check out logicacademypro.com. Thank you for listening.